Hello, you are very welcome to the Insider Schools podcast, the podcast where we put all the issues around teaching in Irish schools under the microscope. I'm your host, Andrew Phelan. Everybody has known for the last number of months that changes were coming at leaving cert level. You could sense it in the media, there was calls from various politicians, Oireachtas committees were held in education and leaving cert reform in particular. And of course there were rumours of the infamous document containing these changes sitting on the minister's desk. However, it all did seem a bit sudden this week when changes were announced in the media frenzy. And despite claims of intimate consultation with all the, in quote, stakeholders, many were very, very surprised uh, by some of the new changes. Tonight, we go inside our schools to discuss them. Tonight, I am joined by Peter Leiden, a geography teacher who holds an MA in geography and an MSc in e-learning. Peter also works as an education tutor with the University of East London and with DCU. And for all the geography teachers out there, Peter is also a co-author of Real World Geography 2nd Edition, published by Folins. I'm also joined tonight by Jennifer Horgan, a teacher of English and Ethics. Many of you may know Jennifer through her education column in the Irish Examiner, and she also writes for the Irish Times. Jennifer has written a book called Oh Captain, My Captain, One Teacher's Call for Change in the Irish Education System, available now through Orpen Press. Joining me also is Kate Barry, an English teacher, a well-known blogger and writer on education issues. Kate has also recently started her own podcast called Beyond the Classroom. It's done in collaboration with UCC and 98.3 FM and it is definitely, definitely worth a listen. And finally, I'm joined by Mark Walsh, who many of you would know as he's been on this podcast many a time. He is a modern foreign language and computer science teacher and is a subject rep for both of these on the NCCA. Mark is well known in teacher trade union circles and is in fact running for the vice president of the ASTI in two weeks time at their convention down in Cork. So we wish him all the very best of luck there. So as you can see, uh, judging by the calibre of our guests, I am very much going to feel like a bit of an imposter in this conversation tonight. Uh, So I'm really looking forward to hearing what they have to say about the changes uh, recently announced to the Leave Insert. Thank you very much uh, for coming along. The the podcast is back. I had a bit of a sabbatical for a few months, but I suppose the announcements uh, by Minister Foley during the week uh, kind of dragged us out of retirement to have another one because it's very important, uh, I suppose, milestone in, in Irish education, the announcements that came. So it's really important that the, the issues uh, were discussed. Uh, Peter, um, it's your first time on. We are very welcome. Uh, Jennifer, your first time as well. So you're very welcome to the podcast and Kate and uh, Mark, uh, you return. I think Mark, you've been on quite a few times. So welcome back. Uh, so we'll just go straight into the reasons first. They say themselves in the department that there's three tenets of the senior cycle reform are two. Okay, empower students to meet the challenges of the 21st century and um, to enrich student experience and build on what's strong in our current system and to embed well-being and reduce student stress levels. So they're the three kind of pillars on which they have said that these changes are, are, are the reasons why these changes uh, are coming in. And then I suppose some of the, the major changes that are standing out, um, they've, they've split uh, two subjects to begin with, I presume, and it'll probably follow suit in other subjects, as we've seen historically uh, when it comes to educational matters. But certainly at the beginning, they're going to split the exam. So half the exam will take place at the end of fifth year now, and the other half then at the end of sixth year. And I think that's in Irish and in English. 
And then the other main thing that's sticking out, I suppose, is the, the extra components that a lot of subjects do have, um, but now there will definitely be extra components uh, of up to 40% in, in, in across all the subjects. Uh, and people are saying, well, well, what's different there? Well, I suppose what's different now is that these components up to now have been, a lot of them have been externally assessed, but now it will be the teachers uh, assessing them, which is a major issue for the trade unions, the teacher trade unions, um, but it will be the teachers assessing these extra components with moderation from the department, uh, who will, I presume, come in and, and check uh, the corrections and so on. And again, there is quite a few concerns around that. Of course, the Easter break for some of the language teachers, they are holding on to one of the, the day you would see it, the gains from COVID where we began to have the orals and et cetera and so on during the Easter break. And that looks like it's now here as a permanent um, fixture as well. And we're not going to get to all of these, uh, the new subjects, of course, uh, there's two new subjects, there's, there's drama, film, theatre studies, and then there's climate action, sustainable development. So they're, they're the two new subjects. And of course, there has been quite a bit of debate around uh, the, the, for English teachers around the drama, film, theatre studies one, and for, for science or for some of the science subjects in Leaving Cert and for the geography teachers has been debate around the climate action, sustainable development and so on. There has been changes to leaving sort of applied as well, I see, uh, and there's been some changes to level ones and level twos in terms of special needs and so on. And of course, actually, the transition year programme, transition year seems to be morphing into a third senior cycle year. So look, there's some of just a, a flavour of the main changes, probably left out some, feel free, as I said, to jump in. Um, but I just want to get a quick round the clock view just initially before we go into some of the details of what you what you felt during the week when you heard the announcements. Um, uh, yeah, I'll just mark, I'll leave you jump in first. Yeah, I think everybody was caught by surprise uh, by the timing of the announcements. I mean, I didn't I don't know if uh, like we'd been hearing that the minister was going to announce the changes, um, you know, we were we heard that they heard the report was on our desk and people were wondering when is she actually going to release it and I, I think the timing is probably significant in that she wanted to release it a couple of weeks before uh, the ASTI convention and the CUI convention so that presumably we'll be talking about it when we come to convention and um, that's on the timing and um, but just my overall reaction first of all obviously the thing that jumped out at us was the 40% teacher assessment and after all that we've seen with the accredited grades and the effect it's had on students and um, in many cases we've seen how once students feel that their teacher is assessing their work the pressure comes off and they in many cases don't really bother doing a lot of work and um, they they kind of sit back and I, I certainly have noticed this that this year where students were hoping for accredited grades and hoping that they'd get those accredited grades like the previous years and then that didn't happen and now they find themselves kind of behind in a lot of cases so there's serious issues with teacher assessment um, and I would have thought after all that had happened with the junior cycle and the the huge controversy over that uh, back in the junior cycle that maybe they wouldn't have tried to bring this out again but it does seem that they are bringing, bringing it back again. I don't think anybody would really have any issues with the extra subjects, you know, with the new subjects. They're, they sound a bit nebulous and a bit kind of vague and whatever, the, the climate change one and all that, but because uh, they are, they do come up in other subjects, I'm sure people will talk about that. But uh, like, we, I don't think we'd be necessarily opposed to new subjects. Um, they could be good. 
Yeah, funny enough, the thing about the the exams in fifth year, we kind of anticipated that in the last podcast, and I was listening back to the, the previous podcast on the Leaving Cert a while back, where we said uh, it wouldn't be actually advantageous for students to have some of the results locked in by the end of fifth year. And I think I saw this point being made online as well during the week. I mean, if you, I give the example of programming languages, if you were to say, right, we're going to do a programming language exam at the end of fifth year, and whatever skill level you have at that point, it's going to be locked into an exam, uh, and then you can't revisit it in sixth year, you're cutting off the, the natural development of the knowledge and skills of the student over time. So I think the, the idea of having the Irish and the English papers at the end of future, I think that's a terrible idea. I think it's going to increase stress to the students. I don't think it allows for them to fully develop their knowledge and skills of the subject over time. We anticipated that, and they've actually made the decision to bring it in. Um, I suppose another, we'll probably come on to this, another thing to say though, I don't think it's, I mean, for all the talk about a, a supposed radical reform of the senior cycle, I don't think it's that at all, because I mean, I'm sure people will mention that the point system remains in place, and a lot of people are arguing that unless the point system changes, and unless there's some sort of attempt to decouple the point system from the, the Leaving Cert itself, that it's the point system that causes the backwash effect that uh, puts the strain on students, uh, the pressure for college places and so on. And unless they're willing to tackle that, uh, I don't think it's going to be a major change. Uh, also, they didn't talk much about investment. I think the key uh, important thing for any senior cycle change and improvement is investment. And I think the mantra needs to be investment, not assessment. The real change in uh, second level education would come from investment and not assessment and we know we're at the bottom of the league tables in terms of the OECD uh, for the percentage of uh, our GDP that's invested in education so education in Ireland is run on a shoestring particularly at second level and if they want to change the system it has to be based on investment and not these tweaks to assessment um, one of the other, the other point about the orals, putting it into the Easter holidays, I think it's a terrible idea because, as you see from this year, we're going to have students have the, the Irish and their modern foreign language in, in, the same, uh, in the same week and a half, basically, at the moment. Uh, and uh, they don't get any holidays. Teachers are probably going to be less likely to want to assess it during the Easter holidays, uh, even if there is a, a slightly greater payment for it. Uh, but I think we can see that these are things that the, the, the Department of Education has wanted to put in place for a long, long time. They wanted the orals in, uh, in the Easter holidays. And just the final point, so I don't want to go on too long, uh, but, uh, because we'll obviously come back to these things. But a final point is um, that there's a, an institute in DCU called CARPE. And there was an article back in the Irish Independent back on September the 9th. And... Uh, an article by Michael O'Leary, who's the head of this Carpe uh, Institute. Uh, and basically, he said, the headline was, we must make the last two years count by deciding the role of teachers in assessment. And essentially, he was calling for teachers to be involved in assessing their own students. And if you look back to that article, uh, essentially, I think the minister has delivered what he was looking for. And you might say, oh, well, fine, okay, somebody from a third level institution, part of it. DCU Institute of Education grant, whatever. But the fact is that uh, he's the Prometric chair of this Carpe Institute. And Prometric is a US uh, assessment company, obviously, you know, involved in the Irish education system for 
the, the financial advantage that they can gain out of it. And they even say that their aim is to change the way uh, senior cycle assessment happens in change the landscape, I think the way is the way they put it. So there's a whole other things there that uh, just that's my just in, initial impressions uh, of uh, what has happened in the last uh, last week. Yeah, thanks, Mark. Um, and just you mentioned the other the podcast that we had last time. I listened back to that. And yeah, it, it, it goes through a lot of that. But uh, uh, Kate's podcast, Beyond the Classroom, I would encourage people to actually to listen to that. I think it's your first episode. It's it really, really is excellent on those issues. So, Kate, I'll bring you in actually next, if, if you don't mind. And just just even in reference to some of the issues Mark was talking, or is there anything, you, you know, your own initial? Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Andrew. Um, yeah, I've, I don't think there were some surprises in what the minister was saying during the week. And um, there were some things we kind of knew were, were coming. But my initial reaction, I think, was, was like, ouch. I think particularly around as an English teacher and the decision to around moving the paper one to the end of the fifth year. And really what worries me about this is I mean, we can talk about the decision itself and the reasons why it's not a good idea, but it it was the kind of the, kind of the flippant kind of nature of this that it was like somebody said, "Oh, we must move." What? Yeah, we, we can't have everything at the end of sixth year. We must move some stuff to the end of fifth year. What do they do? What do they do in English? Are, are, there, are there two papers in English? Yeah, there's paper one and a paper two. Oh, that's fine. So that's half. So we just move the paper one to the end of fifth year. Grand. And that seems to have been the level of, of thought that um, I think anybody, every single English teacher that I've spoken to about this, and I've spoken to a lot of English teachers in different schools, and they kind of all said the same thing, that this is, um, you know, it's not a good idea. The, the, the essay question, and I used to examine it, I was an examiner myself with Leaving Cert, the essay question really is a discriminator question that really separates out the different candidates, like how they handle the, the, the essays is really often in line with the grades that they will get at the end. And I, I don't think they've thought at all about the effects it will have on students who I presume will, will know how they got on in this in this half their their paper that if they don't do as well as they might have expected then going into leaving cert that really sets a cap on on what they can achieve and they will know that no matter how hard they work even if they do an excellent paper two at the end of sixth year they're they're still not going to get the grade maybe that they would have gone into fifth year thinking that they that they could achieve and sometimes they could be they could be right in that sometimes you know it is and um, you know it is five or six years of secondary school and they they do they are developing their writing the whole time i think i would have been less perturbed if they had said we would take half of paper one which would be 25 percent and let them do say the the comprehension pieces and and they do thing called question b is like function writing that if they did that at the end of, you know, I, I would still say, you know, why? But that would make more sense from a, an assessment point of view in that they are sections of the paper that most of the candidates will do quite well in. Like that question A, that comprehension section, most candidates will do much, 
which will do at least as well and usually better in that first section than they will in their overall grade. So if they sat that at the end of fifth year, that, that might give them, they would still then, it would kind of all still be to play for in sixth year. So kind of what worries me about this is that for all of the talk of this, all this research and we've done all this scoping and we've done all this, um, and we've looked at these international best practice and we've consulted with these people and those people and the stakeholders, I mean, um, which is a, a term I'd, I'd have a lot of issues with, that when it comes down to it, I, I still don't know what the criteria are for making these decisions. Like then they seem very far removed from the reality of what's going on. And I think the reduction of teachers and the, and the same teachers is just another um, stakeholder in a whole range of stakeholders is, you know, I'm just looking at this and I'm worried that Know, how how this is all going to how this is all going to pan out because I think it's being done very much at a remove from the reality of school life and the reality of students' life and you know talking about there they want to reduce student stress um, I, I would agree totally that this and a lot of the stress the students are under is down to the CAO which this current point system was brought in in the 1980s like free education came in the end of the 1960s and that then you know, um, 10 or 15 years later, then we had huge increases in the amount applying to third level. And this was brought in, you know, as a way of trying to manage transition from second level to third level. And it really hasn't changed since. Like, oh, any changes they've made have been very cosmetic. And But in essence, the point system is still there. And I don't see anything in this about changing the point system. And really, I think that should be the priority. The... The, the getting our, us to assess our own students is, you know, we did do this for the last two years. I think it was done in the spirit of, this was an unprecedented situation. Um, we certainly, in 2020, like it, you know, we felt it was unsafe from a public health point of view of students going in and sitting their exams. And, and now we feel that the fact that this is seen as like an opportunity for people to push down an agenda of us assessing our own students that I think there's a there's an element of carpet bagging here that you know people are seeking to profit from what was a terrible situation and one that you know will that we'll be recovering from in many ways um as a country and globally for for some time to come and that and I just think there's something um, odd about people trying to trying to profit from that, you know, and not, not necessarily profit. I mean, Mark brought up there possibly profiting, literally profiting, and certainly in some cases. But but also, I think there are people who are ideologically, you know, um, and th this isn't a, a profit. This is a profiting thing for some people, but not for, I think for. For many people, it's an ideological thing that they want this to happen. But even if it's ideologically rather than literally profit making, um, I still think it's it's quite distasteful. I think to see this, you know, this is an opportunity that this has happened. Um, the same for the orals happening during the Easter holidays. That this is seen as you know the thin end of the wedge, and we um, that when when teachers agree to do this. 
you know, we did in the, in the spirit of doing the best that we could in a bad situation for their, for our students and that I, that this is happening, I think is regrettable. Um, overall with the, with the changes, I, yeah, it's, there's, there's a lot of fine words, you know, there's a lot of talk about this vision and, you know, empowering, there's a lot of alliteration, there's a lot of critical creativity, collaboration, you know, if they're empower, enrichment, embedding, a, a lot of fine words, but very little on, on the detail. And I think it's when we see the detail coming through that we'll be, um, that, that we'll really be able to, but, to assess it. But by, by that stage, you know, it'll probably be just a case of, um, we'll just go to our in-service and make the best of it. And, and the details will follow as usual. Um, yeah. Jen, I'm going to bring you in next because you're an English teacher as well. And so it'd be interesting to get your take on, on what Kate has said in terms of the splitting of um, the papers, but also on the teacher assessment, because I know in the past, uh, certainly you've been in favour of teachers assessing the students and, and you've written in the past about us being professionals and so on and all the rest of it. So it'd be interesting to get your take on these changes now. Uh, similar to Kate, you know, I don't think it makes sense to to have the, the paper one at the end of fifth year because it's 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 really very much the skills paper, you know, and, it's, and those skills develop over the two years. And it's so lovely to see those skills develop and to see, you know, particularly, I suppose, with the competition, the students get to, to choose really the genre that they're most comfortable with. And you can really see their voice growing and, and their kind of identity uh, forming. And, and of course, being informed by their broader study in literature, you know, so I really like paper one at the end of sixth year. I think that's where it should stay. I suppose a hybrid option, maybe where you'd have some language element and literature at the end of fifth year. Um, I suppose as they're doing continuous assessment, anyway uh, maybe you know they won't be too upset by having an exam at the end of, of fifth year I don't know but as Kate says I don't really see the reasoning I don't it does seem flippant to me as well so on that I completely I suppose yeah you're right Andrew that the main point I would sort of uh, disagree with both Mark and, and Kate on is the teacher assessment um that's largely due to my background I suppose in that I taught in London for a number of years and I taught in um, a British international school. And so I was very used to assessing my students' work. Um, and it actually really helped me in terms of my confidence as a teacher. And um, we, we would meet very regularly um, as a department and sort of go through sample pieces of work, you know, ask advice on our own students. And there was a real sort of, um, it felt very professional it felt it felt very supportive so what i would say is of course if we're assessing our work we're going to need a lot of support we're going to need time we're going to need resourcing we're going to need space to room to breathe um, as professionals but i actually see it as an opportunity for us as teachers to take back secondary level the moment i think teachers are fearful of assessment in the context of the points race so they're worried about being the final voice in you know, their students' future. And because the stakes are so high, they feel like, actually, do you know what? I prefer this to be, to happen outside of the school and not on my watch. Um, if you that away, if you take away the, the points, and if you actually say, do you know what? Secondary education is about secondary. Universities can, can decide how they want to filter their students, but we're here to, 
you know, um, allow our students to individuate and to, to express themselves and to grow in their skills and their knowledge. And, and we own that. That is our, like, assessment is part of learning. I don't understand how we think, you know, and to say assessing our own students as if that's something strange, like that, that's really surprising to me. Um, but I think that it's a culture that's developed in Ireland because we've lost autonomy as teachers. And I think I often hear as well people saying, oh, but you know, what if a teacher doesn't like a student? You know, what if they mark them down? It's like, well, those teachers have no place in the profession. Of course, you're a professional. You're not going to take individual issues you might have with a student out on them in what grades you give them. And if you do, how are you still where you are? Get out of the class. You obviously don't like young people. Um, and I also, I suppose, I, I would be upset at the thought that, 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 you know, work ethic is going to go down because the teacher is marking the work. Why would that happen in a cooperative space where the teacher is respected, the students are respected? And, you know, it's, it's, it's a site of, you know, like I, I just, those attitudes, I think, kind of reveal, you know, an, an underlying problem with how we view teachers and the status we give them, because I don't think teachers are respected enough in Irish society but I actually don't think teachers respect themselves enough and they don't see and recognize the power they can have in the classroom and how much they can actually, and, and, and you know, the unions, unfortunately in the junior cycle reforms, they said that they, they didn't want to go from ally to assessor as if I, I just, you know, you can be an ally and still assess a student. In fact, you know, that part of it assessment is can be supportive just because you're putting an objective number down on the page doesn't mean it's an attack or it's it's something negative it's actually a truthful objective mark uh, which you arrive at through professional deliberation and through conversations with your peers and with your other professionals so uh, i see the move to continuous assessment as a potentially very empowering one um, but i really worry that it's not going to be taken um, on by teachers and unions and I worry that we're going to end up with another watered down version like the junior cycle um, which just lost all the power it had when it first came out. Uh, thanks Jen and it's great that there is a bit of debate uh, on the podcast and I'm sure we'll get into some of that in a few minutes but I just want to bring in Peter to, to get his um, overarching opinion of some of the changes uh, during the week. Um, sure. we um, thanks Andrew. Um, <clears throat> Gosh, where to begin? Um, I, I think if I had the money, um, I would have taken John McHugh to the High Court to see whether or not he had the jurisdiction to make personal decisions about whether or not history should be in the core curriculum. Um, and I think the, the Minister's current announcement smacks a little bit of that. Um, certainly it sounded like um, she was making a, a bunch of decisions there. and. It's kind of interesting to put this into context. Uh, Rory Quinn launched the Junior Cycle Framework in 2011 in the offices of the NCCA in Dublin. And he congratulated the NCCA on the secrecy with which they drafted the Junior Cycle Framework. And I have the video of that. I think it's up on my website if anybody wanted to dig it out. Um, that was actually quite worrying. I mean, to congratulate a state agency on such a significant role for having conducted their work in secrecy. So it's not surprising that there was a whole load of opposition to the junior cycle when it was published. Um, the, the, the senior cycle review advisory report is an altogether different document. I think 
they brought it looks like they brought in change management people to have a look and say look what did we get wrong with the junior cycle and what do we need to put right i i read the whole thing cover to cover this afternoon and i really felt it was like a blue pill moment that i was you know i'm actually quite like a lot of what i was a lot of what i was reading um and then i went to the minister's um press release which is on the website and the the advisory um report says a lot of things about how the senior cycle framework will be incrementally developed by taking into account all of the stakeholders okay and i i hear what kate says about the stakeholders you know i'm getting my t-bone out straight away with a knife and fork right um so i it says that there the stakeholders will be taken into account and yet here's the minister already making whole heaps of decisions before the stakeholders have actually inputted into the actual framework. So the framework hasn't been produced. The review report is simply a vision of what the senior cycle might might be like. And I actually quite like, I found myself agreeing with quite a lot of it, thinking this actually sounds quite good. Um, but of course, the, the 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 proof of the pudding is in is it's going to be in the final, you know, the the the, the, the final tasting. The the press release has things like, you know, it's going to reduce student stress like student stress is a quantifiable thing and you can then divide it by two. And I and I heard somebody from the ISSU on the radio talking about how this is a now government funded, how this is going to be a great decision. And it's they've actually doubled their stress. They're going to have stress at the end of fifth year and they're going to have stress at the end of sixth year. And the extra lump of stress at the end of fifth year is not bad enough. If they find out that they get a H3 in their paper one, they know at the end of fifth year, they have a hope of a H1 at the end of sixth year. At the very best, if they get 100%, they'll get a H2. So the repeat fifth year colleges are going to have an absolute uh, an absolute field, field day. The, um, the press release mentions international best practice. There's no such thing as international best practice. Um, Jen has a particular experience about um, uh, continual assessment um, in the UK, I think it was, was Jen. They abandoned AS levels. They abandoned that kind of split A level thing where you had half the assessment at the end of fifth year and half at the end of sixth year, the equivalent of, because it wasn't working out. They abandoned continual assessment for GCSE because it was having a huge negative effect on boys. Now, obviously, you know, that's a general statement. Girls have their own issues that, that can affect them, particularly if you have an all or nothing sort of an exam. Um, but we don't have an international best practice that we can draw on and we can say, look, this is this is kind of the way to the way to go. Um, so, I, I, you know, while there are very valuable professional conversations to be had, you could look at something like the CBAs. All the smart kids know not to put a huge amount of effort into the CBA to save the effort up for the summer exams or the final end exam. Um, I know my own subject in geography, for example, uh, we do this geographical investigation. It's a lovely day out. We have a great trip. And then the kids spend the next month writing up a booklet, uh, which they also have to write up for other subjects. And they learn nothing from that because it's it's a pro forma thing. They might learn how to write one booklet, but once you've learned it once, it's not need to be doing that for seven or eight different, seven or eight different subjects. Um, obviously, there's going to be new... Um, the, the, the NCCA doesn't call them subjects. They call them curriculum components because, of course... Um, film, theatre and drama as an amorphous whole is, is not a subject. A subject is a discipline that has its own philosophy and methods that are unique to it. So geography is a synthesizing subject. Something like climate action and sustainable development are only components of geography. If you hive them out, 
actually to turn them into a kind of a subject, you've got to pull pull them from economics, you've got to pull them from HE, you've got to pull them from a couple of different subjects, maybe history as well. Um, and and I think that's actually going to actually lessen the the value of teaching sustainable development and indeed climate uh, action within those other subjects, because they need to be contextualized for kids to be able to understand them properly. And the irony of this is that the senior cycle advisory report actually recognizes the importance of that interdisciplinary knowledge between different subjects. And here's the minister saying, well, actually, do you know what? We're going to hive it out and create a new subject. But actually, the reason she's going to do that is because there's a very extensive lobby group made up of um, what you might call informal education agencies that are pushing for, for that to be a particular subject. And the advisory report actually mentions that. It mentions other forms of, for want of a better word, other forms of school, like online school or outside of school school that, that students could participate in, which on the, on the surface sounds great, but for the vast majority of students, um, it's, it's not really going to, I don't think it's really going to uh, work terribly well, but it really depends on um, what the final senior cycle framework would look like. But there's a really, there's a really interesting line in the press release that says, um, we must not rush, but we cannot delay and yet we're going to start doing this by September 2024. So it looks like we are going to rush. And we know what happened with the junior cycle when we did that. I could go on. I should stop there. <laughs> uh, no, exactly. Uh, no, I, and, and, and I agree. And, but mo nearly all of what you said, and I suppose some of my own pennies worth, and the uh, same with what Kate uh, was saying earlier on, like, it's just for me, from I suppose, been involved uh, over the last number of years in in time the, the junior cycle and all the rest of it and, and how it came about and new subjects coming about uh, it's the lingo that's used uh, that's uh, and the secrecy and you mentioned it there peter the secrecy around all this and they meet with stakeholders and um, which they did because there, there was a joint directors committee i suppose the trade unions were in there uh, they were given their opinions on, on various things in terms of leaving cert etc and so on um, but it's not real dialogue to me. It's not real discussion. It's not real. Here's what we together have come up with. They've listened to a few ideas. In my view, they've listened to the few ideas just to say that they've listened uh, to all stakeholders as a, as a tick the box thing without actually taking on board a hell of a lot of what was said. Um, and that's the first thing. International best practice. And I've raised this countless times. Um, you know, how how broad was that international uh, scope that they, they used, you know, or was it just looking at countries like the Curriculum for Excellence uh, in Scotland, like parts of Queensland, uh, etc. and so on, and uh, was it focusing in on the areas that they wanted and then taking the bits out of that, and that, that type of educational ideology, I suppose, uh, or was it a big scope of international best practice and looked at all different types of education systems? My fear yeah. is that we have a fundamental problem there, which is yeah. the, the, the people who, who are essentially driving this, to be fair to them, they work full time in curriculum design. And, you know, there, there's a range of people involved in that with a range of experiences and a range of knowledge and skills. And that's, that's fair enough. But they're not actively working in the classroom a day, on a day to day basis. And then you have teachers who actually know what works on a day-to-day -day basis, who aren't actually, who maybe aren't as well versed in curriculum design um, and practices, at least 
you know, in terms of evaluating something like the Scottish Curriculum for Excellence, which has been, if, if any, if all the reports so far are anything to go by, it's been a complete disaster. Um, so it's, 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 it looks like the, the minister has made certain decisions without necessarily, like I, I, I think the review committee uh, report doesn't make any solid decisions. It just points a vision forward. And the decisions have yet to be made, except the minister has made a number of them already. And I kind of ended up wondering, did something else happen that day that you kind of didn't want in the news, you know, because, um, you know, you you wanted to have some big announcement that maybe might distract from something else happening. It, would, it had that kind of feel to it. Sorry, Mark, I've gone on there. But... Yeah, just to, just to take up a couple of points. Um, you see, I've been at a good few seminars and things like that over the years. And uh, so back one there a few years ago, and IBEC was at it, right? And the, the mantra that always seems to come forward is that the only way we can get real reform or genuine reform is that if we have teacher assessment, uh, classroom-based assessment, teacher-based assessment, where teachers are assessing their own students. That's seen as the, the innovative core of any curricular, curricular change. Right now, I would dispute that because I'll give you an example of computer science. Right, computer science is made up of three components. You have a thirty percent project, right, where students have to work together in groups. So they they're using team working skills in their groups. They have to be creative to, to come up with an idea. Right, they have to um, put the idea together. So to bring the idea from from uh, idea to realization, they have to create something and they have to present it to the rest of the class so they have to use presentation skills. And these are all what they call 21st century skills that they would use in the course of their project, right? And they do a number of those projects over the course of the two years, and then they do their own project then for 30%. So all the 21st century skills are there in that 30% project, right? That's the, that's the first part. Uh, secondly, then they have a lab-based assessment, which is programming skills. So that's roughly about 30%. They go into a lab, they, they are, um, the internet is turned off, they're given an exam paper, and they have to demonstrate that they really know how to program uh, in Python, which is the programming language at the moment. And then they have a 40% exam, pen and paper exam, which tests their knowledge of a wide variety of the knowledge around computer science. And when you put all of those three together, you have a very innovative uh, subject. And all of that has taken place within the current structure of external assessment. The project is sent out. Uh, it's actually been uploaded this week, right? Up, up, uploaded to a portal, uh, the SEC portal, along with PE and all those other subjects. Uh, the lab-based assessment is done. It's, there's a, an external uh, examiner comes in. The teacher is on hand to help out. And the final exam is also externally assessed. Uh, and that's, I don't think you need to have, have teacher assessment in order to have a very innovative subject like that. And the second point is, let's look at how seriously the department considers teacher assessment, because we have a model for it. It's the SLAR process in, in junior cycle. And during the negotiations on the junior cycle, uh, the unions looked for two hours per week to work together, to collaborate, to work on, to have extra time to do all of this collaborative work around assessment and so on and developing courses, uh, developing the curriculum. Uh, but the department said, no, no, God, no, we couldn't give you two hours. 40 minutes is all you're getting. And that's your professional time. And if we were taken seriously, as, as, as you were saying, Jen, 
it wouldn't be a mere 40 minutes a week. They would have said, hang on, we believe in this. We're serious about this. We're going to invest in it. And we're going to give you the two hours per week. You'll do your normal classes for, say, 20 hours a week. And you'll have two hours to sit down with your colleagues, develop courses, do assessment, all those kind of innovative things that we hear to do in Finland. But the, the problem with the Department of Education is they don't want to invest in these things. And we know that if we were to sign up to teacher-based assessment for, for senior cycle, it would just be a carbon copy of the junior cycle. And we end up doing a whole lot of extra work that doesn't really uh, deliver any changes, substantial changes, because at the end of the day, there has to be investment. And uh, Just a final point on that is that when it came to uh, senior cycle science, um, they wanted to have like a component uh, based on experiments and so on and they did a report and the report said well we can't really do it on an external basis because there's the a lot of the labs are inadequate it would take investment and it would take to cost too much to put in uh, external examiners for that science component that experimental component so teachers just have to do it themselves or something you know they, that, that was their conclusion and every time this comes up it's all the teachers will do it and we're not going to invest in the system. And that's exactly what's happening now. And I think that I said earlier on that this isn't a, a radical reform of the senior cycle. It's not because it doesn't touch the CEO system and the background of students and all that kind of stuff. But it is radical in the sense that the kernel of what they want in this and what they've announced is teacher assessment. Because they believe, wrongly in my view, that the only way they're going to get change in innovation is through teacher assessment. I fundamentally reject that because I know how new subjects have been brought in, politics and society, computer science, PE, all of these other subjects that have been brought in have developed the curriculum and will develop the curriculum without needing to uh, get teachers to assess their own students. So I support those kind of changes, but I don't support teacher assessment because they don't take it seriously and it'll just be loaded on top of us. So I'd make that argument uh, in relation to what you said there. Thanks. Ben? Yeah, uh, that's, that was really interesting. Uh, Mark, I, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly on both counts there. Firstly, that actually just talking about assessment and who assesses what, it's, 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 it's too narrow a conversation and it shouldn't be the kernel of, of, of change. Um, actually, we have to talk about curriculum, we have to talk about choice, uh, we have to talk about all the obstacles we put in front of students. And the biggest thing, of course, is the system and the point system, which has nothing to do with secondary school education. Um, so I think it's become a really politicised topic. Um, and my interest in continuous assessment is kind of a very small part of my, my interest, you know, in senior cycle reform. Um, the second point also that Mark raised about the time being given, absolutely essential. And, I, and I'll always argue for continuous assessment only if that is part and parcel of, 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 of the agreement. It's, it becomes meaningless if it's something we do without support and without time. Um, and that's a disaster. Do you know, it'll, it'll just leave us um, chasing our tails. But the, I, I wanted to get back to Norma Foley's announcement and the press release. And something I found very interesting about what she said was she talked about how she had discussed it with companies, um, both here and abroad and about how they were interested in students who didn't just have knowledge, but who could apply their knowledge. And that's why she was going towards uh, frequent assessment or um, through, the, through the two years. Um, and she actually said, that's what's behind these reforms, which I thought was a shocking statement because she's basically saying that Absolutely. the purpose of education in Ireland is 
um, to, to provide a workforce. Uh, it's human capital, not human being. And has that been agreed? You know, is, is that what we've decided that education is about? Um, and I think underlying all of this should be a really deep conversation about the purpose of education. And something Peter said kind of sparked that in me as well. He, he said that all the smart students know uh, not to bother with the CBA because they know they need to save up for the final exam. Again, that worries me because it's like, well, do we want education to be about strategy? Do we not want to, you know, um, give students a love of learning, lifelong learning, um, and not to see education as a means towards an end? And I'd worry that that, that Norma Foley and, and these reforms, that, that's the agenda they're, they're pushing, that education is a narrow thing, it's about getting people in jobs, uh, and there's no time for anything else. I have to agree 100% with you there, Jenna. I've said that a long, long time. Um, you know, my view, I suppose, of education is that we are here to educate about the world around us, about society, about the sciences, about, you know, increasing all their knowledge in all these years. And of course, the skills by doing all the, 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 the various learning activities in the school. So they both go hand in hand. Um, and but yes, this over focus and I could not believe it. You're right. I couldn't believe it when she said, you know, companies and names like IBEC were thrown around and the OECD, you know, the economic forum. And it, so it seems all about the economy and, and getting workers for the, for the workforce, etc., rather than uh, abroad, which is why, I which I think we do brilliantly in Ireland. It's, it's such a broad education uh, and a broad outlook on life. Uh, when students leave secondary level, you know, uh, yeah, so 100% uh, agree there. Um, Kate, you wanted to come in there? Yeah, I think it's it's kind of odd that it's almost as if she's saying that you know, educated people are slightly less employable, or maybe really less employable. Mm. So you know, we need to focus on making people employable rather rather than educating them. Mm. And and I really think that's a very it's completely false dichotomy. I mean, we, we would hope that young people would leave school being employable, but that's not, it's not the purpose of school. It's, it's a byproduct of school. And I think we'd be naive to dismiss it as, but it is, it is a byproduct. And if we focus on having a good education system that educates people, they will be employable. <laughs> and the anything that she said about the companies. And, and she didn't name any companies now. I was at one of the consultation days, and you can't hear this now in the podcast, but I'm using my air quotes. And there was no consultation. It was just um, presentations. And one of the presentations was by a lady from IBEC who gave a, you know, a fabulously polished presentation. I mean, it's, if this was a CBA one in English, you know, she'd have gotten exceptional. But there was, <laughs> and, and she very clearly laid out what IBEC wanted and I, I think that that's fine you know if they want to say this this is what we want I know they're stakeholders but the which he also had you know a lot of prescription about how they were they were going to get mm. these you know these are the skills we want and this is how you're going to deliver people with those skills and that's really where you know um Norm Foley and the Department of Education need to stop listening. You know, oh yeah, you know, they, they need to listen, and you know, it, it is, it is an important factor in the education system. But when, but I, you know, this 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 lady, this woman, she wasn't an educationalist, and um, when she's talking to these companies, I, I would imagine that that I wonder which country 
some of these um, international companies um, have their base. And I wonder, is it that company, is, is it that country where Felicity Hoffman is um, and the Desperate Housewives actress? And um, I wonder, is it that same country? And may, maybe they come over here and they, they see our system as a bit odd and it seems maybe a bit antiquated and they wonder, would we have something like modern, like they have? And they, but they don't, they're not, they're not educationalists. They're, they're not, and, and they're very, very far removed from, from the day-to-day the -day life in schools. Also talk, talking about student stress, um, you know, mental health diagnosis are, are high, like amongst young people, they're, they're at an all-time high and, and that's a serious issue. But I, I can't see, I'm not aware of any research that would point to a correlation, not even a causation between the kind of assessment systems and, you know, um, would, would this exist? And I, I think we're very focused on the, the leaving search as a point of pressure in young people's lives and saying that this is what's causing the, the, the stress. But I, I, I don't know, is there really any good evidence for that? And this idea as well that sometimes I, I feel talking to students that they're, they're so sold on this idea that the leaving search is bad for you and the stress is bad for you. They actually think that studying is bad for your mental health. And that we, we know from research, like I know Jean, Jean Twenge, the woman who wrote the iGen, um, she would say that actually studying is positively correlated with positive mental health outcomes and you know, things like it's, it's up there with things like exercise and things like spending time face to face with your friends that but but actually students actually now nearly believe that the studying itself is is a cause of stress and definitely agree with what Peter said about the um like that the curriculum makers they're like that, that's, that's their remit and that's what they do. And it's like if I heard an interior decorator to come into my house, you know, she's not going to tell me, but that's lovely, you should keep that. And, you know, they're, they're, they're going to, they are going to prescribe change and we call it reform, they definitely, and, and the, the, the lack of overlap between teachers and curriculum makers and what you said about well, the teachers, often we have the implicit knowledge and we have the tacit knowledge and we have the knowledge of what we see on the ground and what we see talking to our colleagues, but we often don't have the, the broader view then of maybe there's different alternatives to the curriculum that we have. And maybe you know, we should be thinking about alternatives, but because we've, we've come through the system ourselves and this is what we know and we're aware of what works, we're also aware of the downsides, but maybe we feel that on balance, the bits that work are, um, are worth the downsides. And I, just, I, I have this book here, this, this is a curriculum making in Europe, which is really interesting. I don't know if anybody else read it. And there is a, a, there's a chapter on it um, about Ireland. And they, they, have, um, they have a macro, a macro actor, like teachers are micro actors. We're not macro actors. And saying that, you know, how how wonderful it is that the junior cycle reform is so wonderful. And that for many teachers, it is the first time that they can sit with their colleagues and discuss pedagogy. And so this has been like like printed as fact 
in a book for an international audience that this is what junior cycle reform looks like in Ireland, that we have, that they have successfully introduced teachers assessing their own students and that, you know, along with this, they have also given us the, the time to not only sit down and uh, discuss assessment and, and slurs, but also that it's a revolution and, and that we've been liberated and that we also sit down and discuss pedagogy. And, um, and, and I do agree as well with, with Jen who was talking about the lack of respect really for teachers and for teachers as professionals and that you know, the, the 40 minutes that, that we got as part of this reform as part of the junior cycle reform, I, I think the 40 minutes, I don't, I can't see us getting any more for senior cycle reform. And, you know, I don't see that 40 minutes because one of the, another of the changes that they brought in was cutting the amount of instruction time for subjects. And I teach two subjects and one of which, both of my subjects, I teach French and English, you know, both of which at junior cycle now have fewer classes a week than we used to have under the junior cert. So that means then that I'm, I'm now, even though on my timetable, I have 40 minutes less, I'm carrying more class groups in the other 21 hours and 20 than I used to carry in 22 hours, which is an amazing example of what Richard Britton used to talk about, you know, more for less, more for less. And it's amazing. I'm managing to impart more knowledge and teach more students in 21 hours 20 and have 40 minutes in which to discuss pedagogy with my colleagues than I, than I used to do in 22 hours. So it's, it's, it's just marvelous and you know, bring on senior cycle reform because that's just going to be even better. It's all done by stealth, you know, this is how they bring it in. Um, no, it's, it's funny, like some of the things that some of you mentioned, I'm going to bring you in then, Peter, but it's just thinking back to when I was in school and I would have said a lot of the stuff that the secondary school students are saying now, now when I was in school, and I'm sure nearly every teacher would as well. But then when you go on and, and you learn about pedagogy, and you learn about teaching, you learn about education, you see the bigger picture of everything, then you kind of go, actually, no, uh, you know, the system that we have is right uh, and it is correct. But I would go back to the stress element of it. Uh, there is a huge amount of stress, uh, leave insert, and um, again, because of that high stakes function of the leave insert. And it's to literally filter people uh, into colleges. And we've had this on the past in the podcast. You know, it's just that whole it kind of demeans the function of secondary schools when they just become this filter into third level. Um, and maybe that's something that, and it is absolutely something that has to be looked at is the CAO system, but I don't think they're willing to do that and they're not going to even go there. They're not even going to taste it and see what it tastes like. They're just absolutely not. It's just uh, change the assessment method at secondary level and push on. And that seems to be uh, what they're doing, you know. Uh, Peter, you, you've wanted to come in there for a while. Oh, <laughs> Here's the thing, the, the reference to businesses is not new. Rory mm -hmm. Quinn actually mentioned it in November 2011 when he was in the NCCA offices, only he called them the captains of industry. And he said that, you know, these are the skills that the captains of industry are saying they need. And I'm kind of thinking... There's a song I, about them, isn't there? I, I think there is probably, probably a, a Christy Moore song. Yeah. But if you, if you think about it, we're teaching 15-year-olds. Well, we're teaching 14 and 15-year-olds 
the skills that the captains of industry want them to have and they're not allowed to work until they're 16. But invariably, and I think one of the skills that was mentioned was the ability to, to present, to make presentations. So kids are blue on the face doing presentations. If they can do up to, uh, up to 10 CBAs, and if it's three weeks for each one, that's one every three weeks, the kids never get a break. And I've heard of one or two schools doing very, something very clever where instead of their kids doing 10 CBAs, uh, they'll do one CBA that actually happens to fit very nicely for woodwork, Spanish, geography, history. You can just do the one CBA and tweak it, you know, and for, you know, you do you do your CBA in history and you tweak it so it's in Spanish. Great. Two CBAs taken care of out of the one. And then. Oh, it's history. So you could put a put a place element in there that will take care of, you know, look, it's 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 ridiculous. I know we're going to have that with the leaving cert as well. Um, so interesting in fifth year, you'll have kids working on a 40 percent assessment component and trying to prepare for their half final exams at the end of fifth year. But actually, Dan said something there, which is really, really important, which is if if it wasn't the fact that um, that. It, they were, were assessing kids for the purposes of a qualification, which is basically points that will get them into, into university. Then it's a different matter. But actually, we assess our kids every day of the week. Yeah. And the difference is not, we, we, none of us are, none of this is about us not assessing our kids. It's about assessing our kids for qualification purposes. I, I don't want to be the person who determines whether or not Johnny gets his, his place in medicine. I want Johnny to be the person who determines that through the work and the effort that uh, that that he um, uh, that he makes, and the proof in the pudding of this is actually the calculated grades last year. Um, there was a commentator on the radio during the week talking about how you know teachers are best placed to assess their students because they really know their students. That's actually a brilliant reason not to assess your students. Um, I think the number of H ones went up by fifty percent or sixty percent in the calculated grades. Because we're kind of going, ah, oh, well, Johnny, you know, well, he tried really well. You know, he's normally H2, but you know, I'll give him a H1. And sure enough, the SEC agreed and he got a H1. And the net result of that, which is absolutely astounding. And, and you know, quite frankly, it's disgusting. I, I had a student last year who got six H1s and she deserved every single one of those H1s, right? And in any given year, she would have got her first place, uh, her first choice on CAO. But because everybody got so many H1s, it came down to random selection and she missed out on her first choice. And that has a huge implication. So she ended up doing a diploma level course rather than a degree level course. That sets her back a whole year. I mean, she's leaving her, she's graduating a year later than everybody else because she's going to go on and do a degree. All because of random selection, all because it was based on teachers assessing their students. So we need to break that without that break between the the, the points determination, the CAO, all this talk about learning experiences, pathways. Um, I, there's a mention here about equity and excellence without any reference to actually what they are and how you might define them and how you might pay for them. All mm -hmm. of this stuff is going to come to naught because at the end of the day, kids are going to go, give me the information to get the points. That's what it's going to come down to. So unless they break the CAO link, we're just wasting. It's just hot air. Yeah, and what, what I've seen, just to go back on what you're talking about, the, the CBAs, that what, what I've seen, and you're correct, uh, from, from my view anyway, is that the CBAs have all kind of morphed into the one exercise, you know, where it's all the same skills just used again in a different subject. Like a everyone, does, everyone does an interview, a PowerPoint, a presentation, whatever it is. 
So they're just constantly doing these. Uh, and I, it's funny, actually, because I was doing it for PE, the, the, the in-service for PE, the JCT uh, PE in-service. And had these videos of students talking about, you know, how, you know, the new, the new uh, junior cycle PE and the short course. And uh, some, so a lot of the students mentioned that, yeah, it is kind of stressful that we have CBAs all the time. Uh, and then, but then kind of went on to something else. And then they were talking about the, the value of the new system and they had all the, the positives. They never mentioned that it was just, it was like what the students had said was just brushed under the carpet about all these assessments uh, constantly. Um, and, and now it looks as if they're, they're trying to bring those into leaving cert. And I was involved in um, uh, the junior cycle. Um, uh, they're making the new PE course, basically, a new 135-hour course. And I was involved in that. And one of the CBAs in that uh, that they, they wanted to bring in, uh, thankfully, we had a discussion around it. And we can't say, I can't say too much because the, the specifics are not out yet. But one of the things that was supposed to be there was, was, was uh, hosting an event, you know, so create a sports day. Now, you know, to me, that's got nothing to do with physical education, nothing to do with physical literacy. It's just hosting an event and it could happen in any other subject. Uh, so these kind of skills that they seem to be introducing are pushing knowledge away. There's not as much knowledge in the curriculum anymore. And it's just these constant mundane skills repeated all the time throughout. Um, Jen, I know you wanted to come in. Thank you. Sorry. I suppose we need to um, make sure that we don't have a certain type of learner in our heads, though, when we talk knowledge being reduced and it all being about re repetitive skills because actually you know one in four of our students has an additional need and these terminal exams of of three hours of writing are absolutely inaccessible to them yeah. so the one thing that we do get by having kind of projects and presentations is that we are allowing those students who are orally are you know in different applications so i i suppose i think more choice in assessment and kind of different types that it's just it's fairer all around because our students are so different um, and so diverse. Um, coming back to Peter's point, I agree completely. Um, you know, that it's, it's about the points, really. That's what's warping everything. I suppose I would be reluctant to compare uh, anything to the, the COVID years um, in terms of, of the inflation of accredited grades, because that was in a very specific context um, and it was without supports. And it's exactly what we should be avoiding, you know, coming back to what Mark was saying about making sure that we have the two hours of professional time. Um, that's, that's a good case to say, we can't do this. We can't assess our own students if we're not given the time because look what happened during COVID. And it is absolutely true. I've heard from numerous teachers that they were being you know, encouraged by management to make sure their grades were as generous as they could be. So that was absolutely, and that's what will happen if it's not, you know, if we're not given the time, the supports, and if there isn't like, you know, um, moderation happening on a regular basis. Um, so I, I suppose, yeah, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't like to use the accredited grade system as as a comparison. Mark, you wanted to come in? Yeah, no, just, just to be clear, I'm not saying that if we get the two hours that I'm in favour of teacher assessments, I don't think they'll give it to us anyway, but I'm, I'm just I'm because, I'm, as I said, I think we can get the kind of innovation that they're talking about without actually doing teacher assessment. And I'm all for having time to collaborate with colleagues, different ways of teaching things and assessing things in a formative, in a formative way. But I do, that doesn't extend to um, teacher assessment for uh, certification. I, I wouldn't be in favour of that, because uh, I think that's not necessary to get the kind of uh, change that we need uh, that, that people are talking about. Um, so uh, just to be clear from my perspective on that, um, I think another thing we need to mention here is that um, 
like if you zoom out from all of this, right, this is, and somebody mentioned it, trying to tweak the assessment system, right, and claim it's going to be more socially just and that it's going to be more, uh, uh, can, can, you know, it's going to be better for students' uh, well-being and things like that. You know, that's, in other words, continuous assessment is presented as a kind of a panacea that's going to cure all ills in the system. If we can just get more assessment in, it's going to be more favorable to the disadvantaged students or the, the, the students with quote different learning styles, and uh, they'll be able to shine in the way they weren't before, right? But the hard reality behind that is that if you look, I work in a desk school, um, and if you look at the levels of disadvantage and where people come from in Dublin and where they go to college, and I always give these examples because in Dublin 17, uh, Darndale and Coolock, near where I am, only 15% of people go on to third level education. In Dublin 10, uh, in Ballyfermot, only 16% go on to college. If you look at somewhere like Dublin 6, 99%, Dublin 4, 84% uh, go on to college. So, so success in the overall system is correlated very much with socioeconomic background. And we all know that uh, more advantaged parents have a huge amount of money that they can spend their grinds and so on and so on to, to get them to get students through the, the CEO system and so on. And none of what the minister announced is going to affect that in, one, in any way. So to claim that there's a social justice element to it is just totally false. Um, what we need is massive investment in the education system to tilt the balance, you know, more in favour of the lower end so that they at least have some chance of a, a level playing field, which they, they don't have at the moment and they, and they won't have. I mean, I'm like... We'll put pressure on the, uh, particularly from the union perspective, we we'll put pressure on the, the government to invest in the education system. But, you know, it's a huge battle with them when you consider that we're, we're the lowest in the OECD for investments in education. As I said, the education system is running on the shoestring here. Um, the other point is about this idea of well-being. And I, I completely agree with Kate. It's like exams are not, uh, you know, detrimental to well-being in and of themselves. You know, it's the pressure that comes from the CEO system that if you don't do well in this particular exam, you don't really have any life chances. But, you know, a lot of the life chances are already uh, settled from very early on. Uh, the disadvantage starts to emerge in early childhood care and education. If you're born into a disadvantaged area, that's where the disadvantage starts and it gets worse, progressively worse over. The gap widens as you go along through the system. Uh, so you don't see the government talking about that. And I think this is why I always think, you know, the, the whole notion of rote learning and, and continuous assessment is such a smokescreen because they don't really want to put in the investment and uh, the, the real substantial radical reform that would be necessary to improve uh, the outlook for, for many students. It's just tweaks. And, you know, and, and again, I'll go back to it. The real core and the kernel of this is, is to try to get us to assess our students and they kind of rub their hands and they say, that's grand. You know, we fought this battle against the teachers who were trying to resist, you know, these progressive moves and whatever, and we let them down and we won. And now the system is 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 now fit for purpose because teachers are assessing their own students and we've got social justice, we've got well-being, we've got all these great things in the system. That's not that's not what's gonna happen, but that's what they're gonna try and claim with with this with this uh, senior cycle reform. So I think there's a huge um uh, what would you say? educational task for, for us as, as teachers, as trade unions, whatever, to educate the public and parents and everybody else about the fact that this is not the kind of thing. I mean, even the idea that 60%, 40%, sure, in many subjects, 
the final exam was only 50 percent you know art and things like that already so and it, we know that even the sec themselves said two-thirds of subjects at leaving cert level have second components so to to suddenly come out and say oh it'll be 60 40 across the board and make make yourself sound radical it's not radical because two-thirds already have second components and okay so you, you make the one-third have a second component you introduce a bit of teacher assessment and and that's it you know and have you know two exams in the fifth year and a bit more access to the mainstream curriculum break down a few barriers and stuff like that now that's what they're saying there is a danger though as well i just finished on this is that the fragmentation that can result are from a kind of a modularization uh, at senior cycle level and what you could get is what, what they call in america the mile wide inch deep curriculum you have a little bit of this and a little bit of that and a sprinkling of this and sprinkling of the other but uh, i think peter mentioned it there you don't really ever get in deeply into a, an actual discipline and learn you know a subject in a disciplinary way uh, which has a structure to the knowledge and so on it's just a little bit of this and, and that from the other part the final thing is i think it's just there's talk of you know apprenticeships um and you know maybe apprenticeships would would be a good idea, but I didn't see much about them. And if you look at the system that might be a good model, maybe Germany might be a good model where they've got apprenticeships that are linked in with companies and so on. Could that be a route for students who maybe don't want to do um, you know traditional academic uh, type of uh, subjects? But uh, in their desktop study, the NCCA didn't even look at Germany, you know, as a model. They did, you know, remember senior cycle reform started with a desktop study where they looked at a number of other jurisdictions, Australia and a few other places, but they didn't look at Germany, you know, which maybe because again, it might involve having to invest in the system. Um, so, you know, there's lots of things there that I, I think, you know, there may be more to come, but I think if, if we get this totally fragmented system at senior cycle level, people won't come out with, they won't come out with any properly developed skills and knowledge. It'll just be, that come out as a kind of a fragmented mess. The other, the last thing to say, I know I keep going on, but there's there is also danger. Sorry, is that what I call the premature vocationalization of the system, where you start to track students on too early into vocational routes. So you kind of say, ah, look, this would really be suited for you. You know, you'd be more into this kind of stuff, and we'll we'll shift you off onto a lower track, that kind of thing, where students don't get the full advantage of the broad general education that that, that, that is the leaving cert they're 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 prematurely tracked and you know it happens already people are tracked into ordinary level and so on they're tracked into uh, different different streams and it happens in in britain with the a levels and, and whatever so there's a whole raft of issues there and i think you know we need to be talking about these things and not let the department of education and the government and and the various different people involved in this kind of sweep over us and present this as some you know brave new world when it's nothing of the sort and in fact i argue it'll probably make the system worse than it is at the moment uh, so that's it thanks thanks mark a couple of things i'm going to pick up and then i'm going to bring in uh, jen wants to come back in kate and, and peter and we'll leave it there then but just a couple of things that come up over the last few minutes i suppose the 64 uh, the 60 40 divide and again PE has 50-50 other subjects have 50-50 as well and so but the key for me is and I remember going back to when the junior cycle first came in if we look at the I suppose if we step back and look at the overall picture here and if you look at what Rory Quinn was trying to introduce and go way back to that period there is an there is a vision in the department right of teachers assessing their own students for the the state certification for the CEO system 
that is their vision. Uh, and then they're also trying to increase, I suppose, a skills-based or an outcomes-based education, skills and outcomes rather than, than a knowledge-based. And these are the two overarching visions, in my view, of what they have. So for me, I remember one of the biggest things being said back way back at the junior cycle, 2011, uh, when they were introducing it. Uh, uh, and I remember the unions at the time kind of fought back and, and, and said, we weren't doing that, we weren't doing that. And there was industrial action, there was all this stuff. And eventually uh, they got these CBAs came out and, and they, they kept hold of this final exam. But at the time, I remember people saying, well, for now, uh, because, you know, they, that's just the tin end of the wedge and eventually you'll ratchet up. Uh, and the department, I know, although she did say this is going to happen quite rapidly in 2024 and all the rest of it, but the reality is their vision is probably long term. And if they can get the teachers assessing their own students for 40 percent, those components more than likely will increase as time goes on over the next 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. And you could see eventually um, teachers being the assessors and the CEO system staying in place. Um, the other thing uh, that I was going to say, oh, yeah. The international study, and you're 100% right, It's they've looked at a specific set of countries to bring in this overall, this outcomes-based education model. And that's why they keep saying international best practice, four years of study, uh, and all these mantras that they keep coming out. And I, I just want to remind, I suppose, teachers and a lot of the general public in fairness, at the time when COVID was running rampant in the schools and they were saying that schools are safe, schools are safe, despite having no evidence, despite having uh, no data uh, on which to say these things. And to remind yourself of that when you think of international best practice, when you think of all of these things uh, that they're saying. Jen. Hi, yes. Um, so the alternate routes for me, that's a big that's a big issue, you know, that um, LCA isn't given the status or the respect that it deserves. It's actually a wonderful, there's, there's a lot going for it. And I think the Leaving Cert established has a lot to learn from it. Um, unfortunately, not enough schools can run it. Um, but I, I think, you know, this, it's not a lower route. I think we need to be careful with the language we use there. It's it's an alternate, it's, it's just a different route. Um, one of the things that, that is an issue in like Germany is that the general population also looks down on those kind of apprenticeships. And there's a bit of a, a kind of a snobbery. That snobbery is very strong in Ireland. Uh, it's the reason why we have among the highest rates of university attendance and the lowest rates of apprenticeships. That's something that needs to be tackled culturally. Um, I. You know, the, 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 this obsession with, with kind of assessment, uh, yes, it is absolutely there. And I get what Mark is saying, but I also think it's a two-way street in that unions are also fixated on it as something that they're not willing to give. And it's stopping us from having a broader conversation. So the conflict and the arguments are all about this. We need to move on. Like, what is it that's so important about those um, terminal assessments? Like, what is so wrong with, with, um, with you know, theoretically um, assessing our students. What's really wrong with it is the point system. So again, that's the problem. It's not, and that's what we need to talk about. So um, I don't know, I, I, I kind of just tire of that, that conflict um, and I think it's taking over everything. Um, and it's the CAO system that we need to dismantle. Um, um, I think, I think, Jen, to be fair there, what the unions have always said is that the, we don't assess our own students for state certification. Uh, and it's that state state certification that goes forward to the to the CAO system, and I think that's kind of what they're saying. They're not saying we don't assess our own students because we do it every day anyway, 
I think it's yeah. just that we, we don't assess them for the state certification, I think is, is what the unions are saying uh, in that. So they will say no to the continuous assessment unless the results don't go toward the point system? That's the yes. idea? Yeah, something we, like we that. Would, yeah. We would do it if this, the point system wasn't there. Well, I know I can't, I can't speak for the union because that would obviously have to go out and, and, and the, the ballot. But I, I certainly, and I've said this in past podcasts, and as people have heard me say in the ACL, I would assess students if it wasn't for that uh, state certification for that CEO points system. Um, and, and if it was for more of a, a general thing. Yeah, that's not what's heard and that's not what's said. And I think that would be a really powerful thing to say if the union said that far more clearly that actually we're not against assessing students for their end percentage we're against it's used in the CEO system that's a far more coherent and powerful statement and i'd like to hear that more um because at the moment it just sounds like quibbling between for me anyway between the government and, and, and the union so I, I think that would be a much better pr message um but that's i think yeah yeah kate i i think so when we're when we're talking about assessing orange students for the for the ceo and what, what peter was saying there that a system where we would be assigning grades that then would be fed into the CEO. It would remind me a bit of the this game at uh, the So Long Soccer game. It's also known as the FU Buddy game that was de developed by John Nash. You know the the mathematician that they uh, that won the Nobel Prize for economics, and he developed you know uh, game theory. And in that, he said this idea that you're in a game and, and you don't know what the other participants what cards they hold so you have to make your declaration and if you do anything other than act in your own self-interest or in this case the self-interest of the of your students you're disadvantaging them and and really that's what it becomes and the, it leads inevitably to great inflation so yeah, def definitely think we we'll all agree on that. I think we'll all agree that the CEO really needs something needs to be done there. And and when I'm sure I think I would have said this, Andrew, the last time I was on about the about the CBAs and how they seem to be based on like the LEMSIP idea, the LEMSIP ad idea of what the workplace is. That you know, you just stand there in front of a, a flowchart in or PowerPoint and you you give yeah. presentations and you might sign off on a couple of reports. And it's, it's actually doesn't reflect at all the complexity of the workplace and how many different workplaces there are. And, and they're really just educate people and that this is what will make them flexible and, and able to you know, adapt to different situations. And, and this genericism really is cutting through everything. And even this idea of having a 60-40 split in every subject. And definitely what you're saying, Peter, but even how the the way the new subjects are being brought in, they're, they're, the idea of the subject has really been de devalued. And this idea that, that you would have a 60-40 split in every subject is, I mean, doesn't reflect things like, for example, in, in languages, in you know, practical subjects. So every subject is different and, and the weighting given to different components you know, needs to be you know, unique to every subject and needs to be very carefully deliberated on and um, and, and not just made to fit into this cookie cutter in genericism. Because wherever you have genericism, you, you will have you will have shallowness and you will not have any 
any breath of um, any breath of knowledge then. Yeah, thanks, Kate. Hundred percent right, and that's just seemed to be the way that's going. It started junior cycle, and now it looks as it appears as if uh, it's coming in um, to leaving certain now. Peter, I'll give you the final word, and we'll wrap it up. I, I, I think we need to get our game on. That's for sure, um, because I, like I said, I read the advisory report, and it's a very different approach that the NCCA is taking compared to what they did with the with the junior cycle, and and quite a welcome approach. And if if it has integrity and they live up to it, then the there's potential there to develop a, a senior cycle framework that I think people could get behind. I think teachers could get behind. But like I say, when the minister goes and makes a whole load of decisions before the stakeholders have actually been involved into the in the decision making, that that creates a problem. We have to be really careful. I I, I think it back to John Holohan's um, was it John Holohan's thing about um, how various ministers used to only tinker with the machinery. We we need to be very careful about how we tinker with the machinery. Um, we we have one percent of Europe's population. But we have about 26% of US foreign direct investment in Europe. And that's a direct testament, not just to the quality of our workforce in terms of our enthusiasm and, and ethic and so on, but it's a it's a it's a testament to the flexibility and adaptability that our school graduates and by extension college graduates have that you don't see in other jurisdictions. Uh, I remember um many years ago talking to was that a house party talking to um, a metropolitan London police officer um, who knew nothing about the situation up in Northern Ireland. And I kind of thought that, well, an officer of the state, somebody who's sort of involved in that kind of public sector in, in the UK, surely they would know something of UK history. He hadn't, he hadn't a clue. And, and I think that that's just, I think that's partly a function of the, 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 the A-level system that they have in the UK, where you do two subjects and you're not interested in history or geography or or any of the cultural things because you're you're a maths or you're English or whatever it happens to be. You just have this very narrow focus. So I I, I think uh, I think um, Mark mentioned it earlier. This idea that we could be a mile wide and an inch deep, and I think that that would be um, that would be uh, would be very wrong. The the thing about stress is there's stress in everything. You, you, I I I I you know going back to the eighties, um, I never remember. The, the leaving cert being stressed. I think an awful lot of the stress is manufactured in the media. And and just as, yeah, I, I think we've got kids now, it's almost a case of if you're not feeling anxious, there's something wrong with you. And and I think that's that's a, a really uh, serious issue. But probably the last point I would make, and it and, and it's it's worth kind of bearing in mind, our education system is not first and foremost managed from an educational perspective. It's first and foremost managed from a political perspective. The consultation process for the junior cycle was launched in May. And there was no way teachers were going to be able to meaningfully contribute to that heading into the exams and the summer period and so on. And the, the consultation period ended in September. So that, that was cynical, a cynical move, but it was politically motivated because it would help the government achieve what it wanted to achieve. After its political political sort of considerations, then comes the economic and then comes the educational. So education is... We need to flip that. We need to put education first. That list of countries that are involved in that report is very interesting for the ones that are left out. But even the inclusion of Finland is very interesting. Finland is reforming its system at the moment. So to include that in that report as a way of 
I don't know, you see Finland being held up as a beacon. It's not the beacon that everybody thinks it is. And one of the areas they're looking at, because it, it gets a mention, well, actually, it doesn't get a mention in the, the minister's press release. I, I have a particular interest in gifted education. Finland is now looking at that because they realise they're not as inclusive as, as, as they claimed and that there's a whole cohort that gets, that gets left out. Now, the, the advisory report is quite interesting because it mentions how the, the, it mentions the way different leave inserts are ring fenced, like the LCA is ring fenced. Once you're in there, you can't get out. So they've kind of envisaged that maybe there might be some pathway out similar to what you have in Finland. So if you started LCA, you could do leave insert maths, for example, and that would be that would be a good thing. Um, but we need to be very careful that we we take care of how we market our values and attitudes about what we think is important as teachers within the system. And that in actual fact, we are on the, 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 the student side. Um, Kate mentioned that, you know, this idea that it's almost like as if you're, I think as you said, it's almost like if you're not doing something, you're disadvantaging your students. And that's actually the thing that's spun by the various stakeholders that the government supports, like the NAPD, and the you know national parents council and so on that the government will roll out to back up their their side of the campaign because that's what it's going to be in the media it's going to be carl o'brien and the irish times going teachers are against reform and we, we need to be on point so that we can say no in actual fact we're we're for reform but we're for the correct reform not a reform that's made up by people who don't really know what they're talking about yeah, no, absolutely, I agree, hundred percent, and that's a good way to leave it, I suppose. Uh, I, I've often said, if I rocked up to an engineers meeting and said, "Look, you're discussing this building uh, at the bottom of the street. Can I give you my input?" And I said, "Well, what do you do?" So I'm a P teacher. I, I know where the middle finger would be, right? Uh, but yet we seem to accept all of this into education uh, when somebody has no idea how the brain works, how the brain learns, etc. And yet they're trying to tell us how to assess students and what way it needs to be done. It's uh, Anyway, look, uh, I think we've given a good trash. Uh, we're here for a long time. Such is the nature of this podcast. It's more of a, a chat rather than a, a get to the point. <laughs> Thankfully, because we'd, uh, we wouldn't have achieved getting to the point anyway, that's for certain. But it's been a good talk to you all. Uh, I'm, I'm sure we will uh, we'll come back uh, to it all uh, again. But listen, thank you very much uh, for coming on. Thanks, Andrew. And nice to, to meet you all. Yeah. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks.